And so as we look at Nehemiah's life, I think we'll, we'll learn, not just today, but all month, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Nehemiah. And there's some really helpful principles and some experiences from Nehemiah's life that will help us as we get started. Hey, a few years ago, Candace and I, we made a big decision. We decided to adopt a child. Now, this was an interesting process for us because I'd never really thought about adoption in terms of, I thought adoption was a good thing, but I never thought of myself adopting a child. And yet she had been thinking about adopting a child since probably the time she was in college. It was a dream for her, not so much for me. So I pretty much wrote it off because she was, my wife, Candace, was one of seven kids. And so I thought she had crazy nutty ideas about the size of a family anyway. I mean, I had a sister, she had four sisters and two brothers. I mean, the first time that I went to her house, it was dizzying. I mean, the volume level and the questions were overwhelming that first time I had at her house. Uh, But as time went on, I mean, I knew that she was serious about adopting. And it's interesting how women win on these things so often. Anyway, seriously, I began to pray as we began to talk about it. And we prayed together, and I prayed for some time, and started to do some research about orphans across the world. Because I knew, I knew that God said that caring for orphans was really important. It's a big deal. And I discovered as I started doing research that there were 150 million orphans worldwide, approximately. And by definition, that means that one or both parents are not around, and that child is living in poverty. Many of these children are in poor health and suffering from malnutrition and and many diseases. And I started wondering, you know, what happens to these kids? And especially what happens to orphan girls after they age out of whatever care system is available? And what I found is that Many of these young girls end up living on the street with no protection, defenseless, and suffering from various abuses, many falling victims of human trafficking. Almost 60%, or as many as 60% of these young girls end up in prostitution. So as I thought about this reality Something began to happen inside of me. My heart got overwhelmed. The reality grabbed my heart. A burden began to grow within me. And so we started the process of adoption. And it's a hard and long process, whether it's we started international uh, or if you do it domestically, it's a difficult process. But we selected Columbia in the summer of 2012. And there was a lot of work, a lot of money that um, we had to spend to get all of the various paperwork done. We had to attend classes, and there were tutorials that we had to do online. It seemed like endless amounts of work. There were fingerprints and documents that needed to be processed, and everything had to be the do, do, done the right way. If it wasn't done the right way, we had to do it over again. And by the spring of 2013, our file was nearly complete with Columbia. We had a few things to wrap up, some final things to finish, and then our paperwork, our file would go to the Colombian government, and we could finally begin the process of being matched with a little girl. 
And then the phone call came. It was sometime in May of 2013, the phone call came and we found out that we had a conference call with our agency because Columbia had just closed to international adoptions of kids under eight, which meant we were done. Even though we were weeks away from being complete and in the process, we were done. And there was no chance for us to adopt a toddler or young girl from Columbia. We were wrecked by that. It was a tough few days as we started sorting through what does this mean and what are we going to do? We could have quit. But as we prayed about it, we found something that whatever was inside of us began to grow. That burden wasn't gone. In fact, it was intensifying and we realize we have to pick a new country. And that's not a small undertaking where you just look at a map and go like this. We did research and we prayed and finally we landed on China. And we found that even though we'd done all this stuff, all these documents and paperwork, that most of it would not transfer. And it was like we were starting over again. But our hearts were filled with a burden to pursue this child that we knew God wanted us to adopt. So here's the question. Do you have a burden? As we start out 2016, do you have a burden about something today? Is there something that you want to see change in the world or in your life? I mean, we all want our lives to matter. We want our days to count. We want to make some kind of difference in our world, don't we? But for this to happen, we each need a burden that breaks and shapes our heart. So what kind of burden is God beginning to put on your heart? What is God wanting to put on your heart? Well, it can be personal. It can be something that's happening in the world. Maybe as you start out this, this year, you're thinking, you know, something has to change with my health. The, the way that I live, I mean, I've got to make some changes to what I'm doing. Maybe it's your job. You're thinking, I can't keep doing this. My job, my career, something needs to be adjusted. Maybe it's your relationships. You're like, my relationships somehow have to be different a few months from now. Maybe it's somebody else in your life. As you think about what's going on around you and in your heart, you're like, I need to be a part of helping this person, of making their life better. And maybe it's your faith. Maybe you're saying, you know, this is the time for me to get serious about a relationship with God. I want to start, and I don't know where to start, but I want to start taking some steps where I can grow and understand what God wants to do in my life more. And maybe, maybe there's a need in the world that God is starting to put and to, to, uh, to, to print on your heart that you no, I've got to be involved in doing something about that. Because we need a burden that will break and shape 
our heart. So how do we move? How do we find? How do we act on something that we want to see change? I mean, how do we do something about it? Well, I believe, and we believe here at Rock Hills, that God will show us. That's why he gathers us. That's why he wants us to look to him on a daily basis. He desires for us to live with conviction and a sense of commitment to make our world better. He doesn't want us to live in isolation. He doesn't want us to live alone. He wants our lives to be more meaningful. He also doesn't want us to sit on the couch, watch TV, play video games. He doesn't mind when we take a break, but he doesn't want us to be obsessed. I haven't talked to my boys or anything about this over Christmas. He doesn't want us to be lost in social media. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing in the world and to feel something that will make a difference. Well, Nehemiah, as we take a look at his life, even though it was many, many years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he had this kind of conviction. And so we're going to look at his life and his faith and see what we can learn from him and how what he did will help us in what God wants us to do. So I want to give a little background on Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, um, here's here's the situation, the background. So Nehemiah was a Jewish person, a Hebrew in exile. He lived far from his homeland, Jerusalem. So God's people, Israel, they'd been dispersed. I mean, Babylon had come in and they destroyed the temple and decimated Jerusalem. So if you look down here to the south, you go up you know, toward uh, modern day Iraq, Assyria, and over into Persia there to the, to the right or to the east. People are spread out all over over the place in the Middle East. Nehemiah was in Persia at that point, and he was working in the king's court. Now, this is interesting. He was a cupbearer, so he had this significant position in the king of Persia's court, the cupbearer, the wine taster. Now, this had to have been a pretty awesome job. I mean, imagine the cabs, the merlots, the blends in the palace. They had to be pretty amazing. And really, when you think about it, what are the odds that you're going to drink poison before you give the cup to the king? I don't know. Can't be that great. It was a good job. So there he is, really living, and we'll talk more about this next week, living in um, comfort. I mean, he had a great position. It's around 450 BC, and there are a few thousand exiles that are now in Jerusalem again. They've returned to God's city and they're rebuilding or starting to rebuild the Jewish community there. And Nehemiah, he had a chance to catch up with some some of his friends who had just come back from a journey there and they came to meet with him and he asked them, what's it like? What did you find? And they said to me, here's the scripture, Nehemiah 1, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned by fire. So what Nehemiah found out is even though people were beginning to return, it wasn't good there. Things weren't good. There wasn't much hope. I mean, he didn't get a a report that was spun and, oh, well, you know, this is, this is going well and there's opportunity over here. Now, it was reality. 
Things weren't good in the city of God, Jerusalem. And the city had no way to defend itself. The walls were broken down. The temple was in disarray. And there weren't many people there to do anything about it. And it hit Nehemiah hard. Can you feel it? Nehemiah felt it. The burden struck him and it broke his heart. And that's what Candace and I felt as we began the whole process of adoption. As we began thinking about the the condition and plight of kids across the world. It broke our heart. And for you today, maybe it is something in the world, but maybe it's something closer to home. Maybe it's the state of your own life this morning. As you take a look at what's happening in your life, that's how you're feeling about your own situation. Your life is not going the way that you planned. It isn't, doesn't feel right. Things aren't good and you may feel like I mean, there's just stuff lying in ruins as you consider your life. You don't feel like you have a whole lot of strength to fight off any new attacks. There are no walls built up. They've been knocked down. You can't defend yourself anymore. And it's hard to see a better or a brighter future. But I want you to know, Nehemiah experienced it, and I think we can each experience it today. No matter what the condition of your heart, your life, your relationships, God is here to meet us. He wants to be in relationship with us, and he, for you, he wants to rebuild what's broken. He wants to meet you right where you are and begin to restore you. Nehemiah felt something deeply when he heard the report. He was wrecked by the condition of his people and the city that he loved. Here's the next verse, Nehemiah 1. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some time I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And that really is the starting place for us whether it's something in the world or something that's going on in our lives, for us to get real with it, to open our heart before God and to pour it out. Allow God to meet us in this place because that's where the burden grows into a desire for our heart to be shaped, for something to change, for us to act and respond. That's the starting point. So Nehemiah, what did he do? He began to pray. That was the first thing as emotionally he was moved by the situation, what was happening, and he knew that he had to do something. The first thing that he did was he prayed. And that's the starting point for us too. That's where we begin the journey. We must start praying and preparing to do something about it. Nehemiah prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed some more. He accepted responsibility for what was happening with his people, and he asked God to bring change. Here's how the text continues. Nehemiah, 
Then I said, Lord of heaven, as he offers up this prayer, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, or the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. So he's praying day and night for the people of Israel. And then he continues, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. What was Nehemiah doing there? He was just getting real. He was being open and authentic with God saying, God, I know things need to change and I need to change and I want to be a part of what you are willing to do with my people. And that's our starting point too, just to get honest before God. God, I want and need you to move. And I'm a broken person. I need your help. And I want your grace to be a part of my life. You see, here's what's interesting as I think about the text is Nehemiah was given an invitation from God. I mean, he didn't have to do anything about the plight of Israel. He didn't have to get real about his, what, you know, kind of what was happening in his life, his connection with his people, Israel. He didn't have to do anything, any of that. He could have ignored it. He was living with the king of Persia. He had it pretty good. What if he wasn't moved? What if he didn't care? Well, I think God probably would have invited somebody else to take the lead but he would have missed out. He would have missed out on the opportunity of what God wanted to do in his life and how his life could affect hundreds and thousands of people ultimately in Jerusalem. He was open to the the burden that God had put on his heart and he did act. He moved into action. And you and I, whatever that burden is, even if it's just beginning to grow within us, as we take a step of faith, as we begin to act, God will go with us. We can have that. And there is a God-given dream for each of us. There is something that God wants each of us to be a part of. It may look radically different, but it starts in the same place. As you and I open up our life and we open up our prayers to the God who made us. All right, so we can all pray. And you may be saying, wait a second, Dave, um, I'm not a good prayer. I don't pray consistently. I certainly don't pray night and day. I don't know exactly what to pray. Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be a superstar to pray. You don't need a doctorate degree to pray. It's something that God works out as all of us open our hearts to him and say, God, I'm broken. I don't know how to do this, but I need your help and I need your power and I need your grace in my life. We can all do it. It's a great starting point for each of us, whether we have much experience praying or we've been praying for years. Here's what Jesus said. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. Because nothing is impossible with God. And it's you and I just...
being open to saying, God, I need your help. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I'm going to try to start praying on a regular basis. We can all do that. It all begins simply with a burden that breaks our heart, that shapes our heart, that moves us to long for change. You see, what Candace and I experienced, um, you know, this whole process of adoption for us, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't easy. In fact, when Columbia closed, at first we didn't know what to do. And so we prayed. And then as we went through the process, we selected China. And we looked at a lot of different countries and we looked at different opportunities and we felt this is the place for us. There's a little girl for us in China. And our process ended up being over three years or almost three years long. And we wondered, you know, even as we selected China and restarted, I mean, basically all of our documents and all the process that had to be done and new home studies and We believe that there was a little girl somewhere in China that God intended for us. And we wondered what life was like for this child. And it killed us that as this time went on, we were still separated from this child that, you know, somehow, some way God was going to unite us with. And we waited and we prepared and we worked through the process and we talked with our kids about it and what it could be like. And finally, we were matched with a beautiful little five-year-old that we named Emery. And we didn't know very much about her. Um, We couldn't wait to meet her. We were given conflicting reports about her, about the condition of her health and her background. We didn't know what to believe, but we kept on praying for her arrival, believing that God would provide and that, you know, all our travel approvals and everything seemed like it took forever until finally we could set our plans to go to China. And we met Emery. This is March 1 of last year now when we met our new daughter. Do we have the picture? There she is. New brothers and sisters. She didn't speak any English. Um, you know, I could say, I could tell you a lie and say, it's been perfect. This dream has been unbelievable. Well, it has, but it's been far from perfect and it hasn't been easy. It's been hard. It was brutally hard for Emery as she moved from one country to this new country and to a family. But yet God has been a part of each step that we've taken. And we know We believed this before, but we know it now. She was meant to be our daughter. She was meant to be a part of the Lance family. And so this burden that we had became a blessing to us. And we became a blessing to this beautiful little girl. And we found that we were living the dream, God's dream for us, even though it was incredibly challenging this last few months. So how can your burden, whatever's going on inside of your heart right now, how can your burden become a blessing? What steps do you need to take for that burden 
to become a blessing, to become reality in your life as you pursue the dream that God has for you this year. Where you know it's going to be tough, you know there's going to be challenges ahead, but when God is involved, his grace and his blessing and his presence and his dream will come. So that burden, really the question for us is what do we do about this sense that we have? Whether it's about something in, in us or something that's in the world, what do we do? Well, there's got to be a starting point. And the first thing that we talked about is prayer. We'll get to that in a moment. But the second thing is we have to look at our life and maybe there's some stuff, some stuff that's going on in our life. Maybe it's some behaviors that are preventing us from fully pursuing that dream in a bigger relationship with God. I mean, it may just may need a new standard. You need a new standard or new something in your life to help you get on track. Something where you can clean things up. And, and I'll just use our house as a metaphor because it's the new year and we realize looking around, I mean, we have four kids. So there can be a lot of messes. And there can be lots of things that are in disorder. And so we started looking around and we finally said, all right, we have a new standard for our house. And we're going to start room by room going through our house and cleaning things up. This is everybody. It's full on. All six of us at our house. Now, we did not get cheers on this one. But it started with, you know, something has to change. We've got to clean some things up. There's some new standards that we as a family need to live by. And we need to set those or establish those for our life too. Maybe you want to start just kind of learning a new way to seek God on a daily basis. Um, you know, I was just talking about apps when we started out, but there's... There's a Bible app. There's lots of Bible apps um, that they are so helpful when you can open up your phone or turn your phone on or just, you know, check things out first thing in the morning. And if you begin a new pattern where you say, you know, I'm going to, there's a scripture of the day. There's a word of the day. There's a, uh, maybe a a book that I want to start reading. Maybe you want to start reading through Nehemiah uh, with us this month. But every day where you say, God, I'm just going to listen. I'm going I'm to read these verses. I'm going to read this chapter. I'm going to read it maybe two or three times. And God, please speak into my life. That's a new standard. It's, it's a new way. And here's my invitation to you. Um, Nehemiah, when he prayed, he prayed night and day. Night and day. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. So here's the challenge for all of us in the Rock Hills community. Um, over the next 40 days, let's, uh, let's go out to February 14, approximately Valentine's Day. And for the next 40 days, can we commit together, at least you know, try to begin praying day after day? We can encourage each, each other in this. We can do some stuff online that will help you but to pray for the next 40 days as we seek God together. You know, I would love, 
I would love to hear some stories. When we get into February, when we get into March, I would love to hear how you're experiencing God through the process. And I believe that he's going to lead us in powerful ways. Because we've got a lot going on here at Rock Hills. There's a, you know, a, a lot of change that's happening. We're trying to get refocused on our mission, which is simply reaching hurting people, reaching people who are searching for answers in life and building up your faith as we do that together. You know, God, um, he's given us a very important role in this city. And we long for you to be a part of it. So we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. Uh, We would love to have you here. I understand we have busy schedules and there's travel and other things. But if you're in town on the weekend, please join us on Sunday as we go through this series together. Now, I'm going to pray here in a moment. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for our community. And then uh, we, we have some new leaders, elders and deacons that we're going to receive. We're going to ordain and install them. That'll happen next in the service. And you'll get to see them and, uh, and, uh, and also pray for them as we join together. So pray with me right now. Lord, um, I mean, there, there are so many lives represented here. Valuable lives, men and women who matter and you care about them and you want them to know your grace and your new purposes for their life. Help us to join together in the weeks ahead, to learn together and to grow together and to seek answers together and to support each other and encourage each other and serve one another. And God, we pray that whatever burden is there or emerging in our hearts, you'll show us what we need to do. God, we know that you are the God of hope, the God of purpose, the God of redemption. And God, you will grow us and restore us this year. You will give us new opportunities. And we look forward to taking steps into those. I pray for the men and women here. God, speak to them today. Speak to them, speak to us this week as we pray. And we pray all these things in Christ. Amen.